The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Jesus also said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager who was accused of wasting his possessions. The rich man called him in and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you can no longer be manager. The manager said to himself, What will I do? Since my master is taking away the management position from me, I am not strong enough to dig. I am ashamed to beg. I know what I will do, so that when I am removed from my position as manager, people will receive me into their houses. He called each one of his master's debtors to him. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, 600 gallons of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write 300. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, 600 bushels of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write 480. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the children of the light are. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into the eternal dwellings. The person who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much, and the person who is unrighteous with very little is also unrighteous with much. So if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with what is really valuable? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you something to be your own? No servant can serve two masters. Indeed, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Savior likes to tell stories with surprise endings. Some of Jesus' best-known stories have surprise endings. The prodigal son the Good Samaritan, the Gospel we will hear next week, which is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Jesus designed these stories with twists at the end to teach people in a memorable way that God sees things differently than the world does, and God operates in a different way than the world does. God has his own eyes and his own system for doing things in his kingdom. Maybe an issue for us, though, with these surprise-ending stories of our Savior is that by now, many Christians have heard those stories so many times that the element of surprise has pretty much worn off for us, right? Like if you watch The Usual Suspects for the tenth time, it's kind of hard to be genuinely surprised at the end when Kaiser Soze's true identity is revealed. Today, though, Jesus tells another story with an ending that's kind of strange by human standards, and this story maybe isn't so well known to so many Christians. And even if you do already know this story well, the ending to this story is so strange by human standards that no matter how many times you hear it, it still manages to surprise you. Now, Jesus tells a story of a manager who has been busted by his wealthy master for wasting the master's resources. And it turns out that this manager not only is wasteful, 
he is also dishonest. So as soon as he hears the axe come swooshing down toward his neck, he starts plotting. He says to himself, I'm, I'm about to be out of a job, and for somebody like me, that's especially bad news because I'm not strong enough to go out and do physical labor, and I'm too proud to beg, but I have an idea. Here's what I'll do. I will call in the people who owe my master, and on the down low, I will allow them to reduce the amount that they owe. I won't let them totally wipe out their debt because that'll be too obvious and I'll get caught. I'll just let them lop off a pretty good chunk of what they owe my master, and then later, when I'm out of work, they will remember that they owe me, and they will show me kindness. It's actually a pretty realistic story up to this point. But here comes the surprise ending, because how would you expect the Holy Son of God to conclude a story about a wasteful, dishonest, scheming manager? He ends it like this. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, of course, obviously the master does not commend his manager for being wasteful or for his slimy machinations and plotting, but he does give that manager credit where credit is due because the manager was shrewd, wasn't he? He took a very long view of things and he used the resources that were at his disposal and granted they weren't even his resources, the money didn't even belong to him, but still he used what was in front of him to set things up for the future. But the surprise doesn't really even end there because Jesus then commands his own followers, his own disciples, to be more like that shrewd manager. To take the long view themselves and to use the resources that are at their disposal in this world to set things up for the future. For the children of this world, that's unbelievers, are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation, that's other unbelievers, than the children of the light, believers. Now it is quite rare for Jesus to say anything kind toward people who reject him as the Savior and the Son of God, but here he does. Unbelievers, generally speaking, are more shrewd in how they use their worldly wealth than unbelievers are, and that is not a good thing. Jesus tells us, as his followers, to take the long view with our worldly wealth, and in this case, the very long view, and use it to set things up for the future. In this case, the eternal future. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with unrighteous mammon, so that when it runs out, they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Unrighteous mammon basically is the wealth of this world. Money, resources, and whatever other material blessings that we have. And as Jesus reminds us here, mammon, or wealth, eventually does run out. It's either going to run out on you when you move from earth to heaven, or for some people it runs out even sooner. It runs out while they're still alive here in this world. So Jesus says, until that happens, until your wealth runs out on you, Use it to make friends who will one day welcome you into the eternal dwellings of heaven. Take the long view of eternity. And that's really the most shrewd approach of all, to use what you have right now, not just to set things up for your future here in this world, but to set things up for eternity. Okay. 
But what exactly does Jesus mean when he says to use our worldly wealth to make friends who will welcome us into heaven? Is Jesus simply telling his people to give to those who are in need, to help the poor? Or is Jesus telling his followers to use their resources to spread the good news of Christ's salvation so that more people will hear it and believe and be there in heaven to welcome us when we arrive? This is actually a point of pretty strong contention among Bible scholars. They fight about this. What is Jesus talking about here? And they fight about it like UFC contenders. Nobody wants to give an inch. Well, I would like to try to make peace between those two camps, because for Christians, it can be, and it really should be, both. Yes, Jesus is telling us to use our resources to help people who need help. As Jesus tells us, whatever you do for the least of these, you do for Jesus himself, and he will be there to welcome you into your eternal dwellings, and so will all those who believe in him, who you help with your wealth in this world. And of course, at the same time, Christians also want to use their earthly wealth to spread the gospel of Christ so that more people will hear it and believe it and be there to welcome us. These do not need to be competing concepts. We do them both. We help people in need and we use our wealth to spread the good news of Jesus' salvation. Then, not only will we be welcomed into our eternal dwellings, we will also be blessed. The person who is faithful with very little is also faithful with much. And the person who is unrighteous with very little <clears throat> is also unrighteous with much. So if you have not been faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will entrust you with what is really valuable? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to someone else, who will give you something to be your own? Now before we get into the blessings of using our wealth with the long view, Jesus gives us a couple of useful reminders here about our wealth. First, he says that it is, quote, very little. And that's because, as Jesus said before, eventually, one way or another, your wealth is going to run out on you. So even if you have lots and lots of wealth in this world, in the grand scheme of things, it's always very little. And next, Jesus reminds us that our wealth is, quote, belonging to someone else. See, we are a lot like that dishonest manager in Jesus' parable. The resources that we have to use, they don't even belong to us. They belong to our master. They came from him, and they will go back to him in the end. So this is two more reasons to keep in mind why it's a good idea to keep the long view with your wealth. If you do, not only will you be welcomed into your eternal dwellings in heaven, but your wealth is really very little, and it doesn't really even belong to you anyway. Now, Jesus gives us another reason. He says that those who do not use their wealth wisely, who use it primarily for their own promotion and their own pleasure, will never be trusted with what Jesus says is your very own and is truly valuable. And meanwhile, those who do use their worldly wealth wisely will be. And in Scripture, God does promise to bless richly richly reward those who use their worldly wealth wisely. Do you remember, speaking of surprise-ending stories that Jesus told, do you remember the parable of the miners? The master gives miners financial resources to his servants, and then the master goes away. 
He comes back, which is like judgment day for those servants. And two of the servants used that wealth very wisely and created more. And what did the master say to them? You would expect him to say, well, good for you and you have plenty. You're plenty blessed. Be happy with what you have. He doesn't say that. Instead, he piles even more blessings on top of that. Now, we need to understand we're not talking about buying our way into heaven here. Okay? You don't get into heaven because of how you use your wealth. Uh, the price to get into heaven, Jesus paid for that with his holy life and his death on the cross. Entrance into heaven is free. But at the same time, God does promise that once you enter, he will reward you for using your wealth wisely in this world. Now, a curious mind would want to know what exactly are these rewards going to be and what are they going to look like? And that, Jesus does not specify. But he does say it will be really valuable and something of your very own. And if that's what the Son of God says, you can bet that it's going to be awfully good. So, Jesus wants us to keep eternity in mind, to take the long view with our wealth, so that we will be welcomed into eternal dwellings and richly rewarded when we get there. And finally, Jesus gives us the ultimate and the most important reason to take the long view with our wealth. That when we do, we will be serving the correct master. No servant can serve two masters. Indeed, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Okay, so by this time, in most of our lives, we've worked for several different bosses. I want you to try this little exercise with me. Close your eyes and picture in your mind the worst boss you have ever worked for. I'm going to give this a minute because some of you may have quite a selection to choose from of bad bosses. <laughs> which, which one, though, is the worst? And what, what made that boss so bad? Was he just generally incompetent, didn't know what he was doing, or was she pushy, or were his expectations unreasonable? Okay. Now that we have that unpleasantness over with, now picture the best boss that you have ever worked for in your life. I hope you're all picturing Jesus Christ. Now that was a little unfair because the Bible never uses the word boss. It uses the word master. God is the best master that you will ever work for. And wealth is the worst the meanest master you could ever work for. Next Sunday, you're going to hear a lesson from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, which will include this verse. Anyone who loves money is never satisfied with money, and anyone who loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is vanishing vapor. And we know wealth is a gift from God, and we know it is a blessing when God's people use it properly. But anybody who falls in love with wealth and serves wealth and lives for it is never fulfilled and never satisfied. As Jesus said, it runs out. As Solomon puts it in these verses, it is vanishing vapor. Wealth is the meanest and most fleeting master of all. And yet sometimes Christians do make this mistake of trying to serve both God and wealth at the same time. Try to have two masters. Jesus tells us point blank in these verses, you can't do that. 
the maximum number of masters that any person can have is one. And notice how strongly contrasting those words are that Jesus uses. Love and hate. Despising and devotion. It has to be either God or money. And serving God is just better. It's infinitely better. Because if you serve wealth, you are serving what leaves you empty and never fulfills you. But when you serve God, you are serving the one who fills you and satisfies you because when you serve him, you are serving the one who has made you what Jesus calls children of the light. So into a world completely covered in darkness, God sent his son to be light. He sent Jesus to be the light of this world. And Jesus broke through the darkness of sin. He shattered sin with his holy life. And Jesus crushed the darkness of the devil when he died on the cross for our sins. And not even the darkness of death could hold Jesus because he rose from the grave on Easter morning. And now by giving us faith in Jesus, God is shining the light of Christ's salvation into our hearts. We are the children of the light. That is who God has made us in the work of his son, faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And scripture tells us that after Jesus conquered the darkness of death, he returned to heaven. And one of the reasons he did that was to prepare these eternal dwellings for us. In John's gospel, Jesus says he is returning to heaven to prepare mansions for everyone who will be following him there. So when we arrive our Savior Jesus will be waiting for us, the children of the light, to welcome us into the mansions that he made for each one of us. That is how much our God loves us. He loves us so much that he sent the light of salvation into this world. He shines that light in our hearts and he is waiting to welcome us to the eternal dwellings that he has prepared for us. Serving a God who loves you that much is infinitely better than serving wealth that is flighty and never satisfies. And thanks to what Jesus tells us today, we know how to serve the right master, how to serve God instead of money. We use the wealth that he gives us to help people who need help to spread that message, the light of Christ's salvation, so that we will be welcomed into the mansions of heaven and be rewarded with what is really valuable, something to be your own. Amen.